Good. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Wouldn't you know, the day that I, the week I spent the most amount of time possible on slides for a teaching, the projector won't work. Isn't, doesn't that just figure? God has got a great sense of humor. So I'm going to be doing a lot of drawing today. You are also going to be doing a lot of drawing today. So hopefully you have a writing utensil. Uh, I encourage you to take one out and to take your handouts with you as well. A couple of announcements real quick. Next week's Fourth Family Feast. Uh, it is um, Mexican themed, right? I like tacos. So I'm glad about this one. So... Um, so Fourth Family Feast is next week. The sign-up sheets are in the back. I know that this is a weekend that a lot of people are sometimes gone because of because uh, it's a holiday weekend, right? So everybody, you know, there might be a lot of people gone. But a show of hands, who is going to be here next weekend? Okay, not too bad. Not too bad. Um, and we actually uh, will have a guest worship leader next week as well, too, uh, coming all the way from the Chicago area. So really excited about that. So, uh, uh if you are in the area and are thinking, you know, like, oh, maybe this is a Sunday to sleep in, I encourage you to come back because because um, uh, he's a he's a friend of mine and I'm glad that he's going to be coming with us. Another announcement real quick as well, too, is um, on the back table there, we actually now have business cards. And these are not my business cards. They don't say Aaron on them anywhere. Right. Because like we talked about on our act series. Uh, I'm never going to be senior pastor. There's only one senior pastor, and that's Jesus. You say senior pastor, I turn around and look for Jesus. So, um, so these are our business cards. These are the church community's business cards. I imagine I've heard from many of you that you've had, like, I wish I had something to give to other people because we talk about my new church family and my new church home. Well, here you go. You've got them. It has our church information on the back with directions. Well, not directions. The address, at least and um, our website and the church email address on Gmail. So um, feel free to hand these out to people and then hopefully they'll be able to recognize the sign out front So uh, from what's on the other side. So they're in stacks of about 10 or 12. Feel free to take a stack. There should be at least one stack per family. So I uh, wanted to let you know about that. Um, so let us now begin. Um, let me begin with the word with a word of prayer. So if you would uh, bow with me. Father God, we we talk about depending on you and trusting in you. And God, we we come to vocalize our faith and trust in you this morning. And God, we actually get a chance to um, to uh, live that out, to, to not trust in other things like uh, technology and projectors. Um, but God, we, we still do have your written word that you have given to us, that you have spoken, and that uh, you have, through the Spirit, directed its authors to write it down. And uh, God, we're great, grateful for your uh, sovereign providence that you have preserved these words of scriptures so that we could hear them so that we could obey them, that we could do them. And God, we ask that you, uh, uh, that you help us to understand uh, your scriptures this morning and help us in uh, this, uh, uh, this topic of the redemption of Christ as we're going through our series. And God, we pray that you be exalted in all of this. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said, 
Amen. So we have been going through our belief statement called the statement. The series is called the statement on what you believe and why you believe it. I know it's getting warm in here, isn't it? Like this is. But for those of us who are here from the beginning last summer, this is like nothing. This is like this is mildly tropical compared to last uh, last summer. So um, so be ready. Be ready. We'll test your we'll test your commitment. Um, it's, it's a hazing. It's a hazing. Church hazing. Um, so we're in a, a teaching um, on our belief statement called the statement. And we've looked at the story so far. We've looked at a, one God who exists in three distinct yet equal persons. He's the maker of all people. Make, uh, made all humanity male and female. But all people were made in one God's image. And from one man, all people on the earth have inherited a sin nature. We talked about that as well last week. And not just that all commit sins, but all of us have a sin nature and a sin condition. We are all sinners, Paul talked about in Romans 3. But the good news is that in the person Jesus Christ, one, a man, one man, uh, the Son of God, Son of Man, was sent, and he came to live, to die, rise again, so that we could now be uh, reconciled with God. We could be united with God. And so there's one God, one man, one Savior, one redemption, not many gods, multiple Jesuses, more than one Savior, and more than one Redeemer. Okay? So this kind of raises this question as we've been going through this story. The big question is, well, is this humongous thing that happened in Jesus, is Jesus the only way we could be saved? If all of this is true, think about this whole entire storyline. There's just one God, not multiple gods, you know, not competing in tribal gods, just one God. And Jesus really is God in the flesh. And all of us are, have sinned, but in Jesus is the only human who's come to die for every. Does it make sense? Well, then it seems like only Jesus is Jesus the only way to be saved. This is a kind of a controversial subject in a world filled with lots of different religions lots of different philosophies this can be a very controversial topic so we're going to knock that out here in the next 25 minutes or so so um but that's the big question is technology <laughs> is jesus let me see if there's no one here we go how's this Jesus' only way to be saved. Only way for salvation. That's one big question, but there's actually three related questions. And the three related questions are, um, will everyone be saved? So you can write that down. Will everyone be saved? Is the work of Jesus necessary? And the third one is, is faith Lord, please. Okay, so those are your three, those are our three questions. So, because there's, 
it's difficult to answer this question, or there's multiple ways that you can answer this question by how you answer all of these. And so I'm going to present uh, several views, nine different views that helps to answer this question that are out there. You could probably break down into more. Um, we'll, I'll give you three big categories, and then we'll see how all of these other ones fit. And again, I had a really nice slide that had all of these coming in at the right spot on an entire continuum and stuff, and it was really cool. So, um, but you've got, a, you've got an idea there. There's three views on your sheet, and then there's a long continuum. So I'm going to draw the continuum, and then we're going to look at each one of these views. First view, and then we're going to look at how each of these views answers these questions. First view is known as pluralism. A lot of isms here, sorry. But uh, that's just what they call this kind of, um, you got some, look at this. Guy's got everything in his truck. <laughs> Pluralism is the first one. And so they would answer the big question basically, no. Is Jesus the only way to be saved? Well, they would say, well, that de depends on what you mean by saved. I mean, what, what does that even look like? You know, what do you mean by saved? I suppose. But certainly not, Jesus isn't the only way. They just would largely answer that question. No, the, the one on the far end over here would be, it's kind of a bad term, but it's called exclusivism. Or particularism. It, it's, you get the idea of exclusive, like there's some that are, you know, that it is only Jesus and not others. So they would answer this question, well, yes, Jesus is the only way to be saved. And then the middle way is known as inclusivism. Inclusivism. And they would answer the question, well, Jesus is a way. And maybe, there, you know, some Christians uh, would say, well, and boy, a really important way. A really, uh, and a primary way that Jesus is saved. Um, but maybe not the only way. Okay. So there's your spectrum. And then we're going to go through nine, like, kind of sub-views here, too. That helps to answer, uh, you know, kind of helps to flesh these out in a little bit. And we'll, we'll look at how each one answers each of these things. So the first one's just flat-out pluralism. Same thing. Answer the question, will everyone be saved? Yeah, probably. You know, depending on how you understand what salvation is. Is the work of Jesus necessary? No. Certainly not. Not on the, this end of the spectrum. Um, is faith in Jesus necessary? Well, why? If the work of Jesus isn't necessary, why would the faith in Jesus be necessary? So that's pluralism, kind of at this end of the spectrum. There's another one here called universalism. Universalism, and so what this is, the uni, is like one and... Um, so this view would say all people are going to be saved. So they would answer this question this way. Will everyone be saved? They would say, well, yes. That's what we believe. If there is a God, we believe that he's a good God and he would want everyone to be saved. Um, and not only does he want them, but he actually will, like will save them. all. So he would say, yes. Is the work of Jesus uh, necessary? Well, they would say no. They'd answer that one, no. And then they would say, well, is faith in the name of Jesus necessary? Well, why? Of course not. So similar to pluralism, but they would say, instead of wondering about this first one, they would say, no, we, we would believe that, yes, um, 
all people are going to be saved. So that's universalism. Now here's a little kind of um, the uh, um, the good the good cousin of this view is Christian universalism. And I'll put Christian in quotation point in quotation marks. So this is Christian universalism. So now this they would answer these questions slightly different. They would hold to a lot of the same understanding that universalists would hold, but they have a slightly different take on some of it. So like they would say, will everyone be saved? They say, yes, I believe that everyone will be saved. Is the work of Jesus necessary? Yes. They would say the work of Jesus is necessary. As a matter of fact, what Jesus does on the cross is of kind of cosmic significance. Jesus is kind of putting the entire uh, created order back in place. And if that happens, well, then, then, of course, everyone would want to be saved. But they would hold this, this third question. They would say, mm, given the, uh, the diversity of religions in the world, we would say, no, faith in the name of Jesus is not. So you see how they answer it slightly differently. They'd say, yes, everyone will be saved. Yes, the work of Jesus is necessary. Um, but faith in Jesus isn't. God's going to save everybody anyway. He's just doing it through Christ, hence the Christian universalism. Make sense? Okay. Three. Three down, six to go. All right. Uh, here's the fourth view we would call, uh, and all of these are really closely related, kind of. Um, this one's called post-mortem evangelism. Post-mortem evangelism. Post, morta means death. Post means after death. So this view would hold that everybody will be saved. They would answer this first one, yes, everyone will be saved. Or they could answer that one, no, but we'll get to that in a second. Uh, yes, everyone will be saved. The work of Jesus is necessary. And faith in the name of Jesus is, uh, is it necessary? Yes. But is it necessary in this life? No. See, post-mortem. They would say that um, those who don't hear the gospel would probably get a chance in some way after death, would finally come face to face with Jesus, and then Jesus would explain the gospel to them maybe at that point, and then, um, then they would, could believe and be saved. So you see how they, maybe they could continue to reject Jesus, the king of kings, as they're standing in front of him. Um, they would they have the possibility of rejecting him forever um but this is kind of why it's close to this universalism camp got it okay so that's uh post-mortem evangelism then there is as you move kind of more toward the inclusivisms which is just trying to find uh including lots of ways for people to be saved we'll put in here world religions so people who hold this view would answer this question, well, we start to now get into where you got some no's or I don't know's about the first question. Will everyone be saved? Um, maybe not everyone. Well, who would be saved? Well, those who are faithfully following whatever religion that they follow. So if this would be kind of the all roads lead to God, all religious roads lead to God view, this world religions so they answer the first question, will everyone be saved? Well, yes, only those who are sincerely and devoutly religious. 
Uh, is the work of Jesus necessary? No. I guess the important work is whatever works they do in their religious system. And so obviously faith wouldn't be necessary either. So that's world religions. Um, next one would be general revelation. Now we talked about this earlier on in our series about a God who reveals himself. He reveals himself through uh, the created order. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Um, day after day, they pour forth speech. You know, Psalm 19, we looked at that one. So this view would say, uh, will everyone be saved? Well, maybe yes or no. Uh, is the work of Jesus necessary? Well, yes or no. Is faith in Jesus, uh, the name of Jesus, necessary? No. What matters is how people respond to general revelation. How they respond to God through, do they believe that God exists? And therefore, is that enough to save them? That's general revelation. Here's another view. Agnostic. Or you can put question mark. This view would be, um, you're starting to move more this way, uh, although this kind of would have a wider range of possibilities. Will everyone be saved? Probably not. This view would be very realistic about the problem of evil in the world. And um, the, the, the sin nature of humanity that we talked about last week. Um, is the work of Jesus necessary? In this view, they would say yes in some way, but we just don't know how. So maybe it's kind of closer to like Christian universalism. Um, maybe it does, but we just, we don't know how. We don't know how God is going to work. Some might believe, might be Christians. And say, I believe in Jesus and I believe he's important uh, for salvation. But, um, but how God ends up working things out in the end, we, we don't know. Hence the agnostic, right? And uh, so do you need to have faith in Jesus is necessary for salvation? Again, kind of uh, would raise their hands and say, maybe. So six down, three more to go. Um, next one would be special revelation. So kind of the related cousin to this one. The general revelation, the special revelation. Now, this view would say, will everyone be saved? Um, no, probably not. Only those who do respond to God will. Um, is the work of Jesus necessary for salvation? They would say, you know, maybe likely it would. Maybe, uh, you know, but is faith in the name of Jesus necessary? They would say, maybe God actually might reveal himself to other groups of people in a different way. Uh, some one that's kind of related to this would be kind of the um, uh, the Jesus with a thousand faces. It's called. So Jesus is willing to put himself behind the face of whatever religious figure. So maybe there's Muslims who genuinely worship, you know, Allah, and this view would say, well, Jesus is glad to just kind of put himself behind the face of uh, uh, Allah, right? So this one is, this is a special revelation. And th that one's kind of related to it, the Jesus with thousand faces one. So will everyone be saved? No. Is the work of Jesus necessary? Maybe yes or no. Is faith in the name of Jesus necessary? Um, it's, ne it's necessary to have faith into, in whomever has been revealed to them. Got it? That's the special revelation. 
Now the, the next one here is what I call, it's on the uh, exclusivism side, and it would be called gospel exclusivism. Will everyone be saved? No, not everyone. Only those who respond in faith to the work of Jesus. So they would answer uh, this one. They would say, no, yes, yes. The work of Jesus is necessary. Faith in Jesus is necessary because they have to respond to the gospel. And, you know, there's nuances to, to this one as there are to all of them. And then the last one would be church exclusivism. And this is kind of an important distinction. Church exclusivism would say, will everyone be saved? No. Uh, is the work of Jesus necessary for salvation? Yes. Is faith in the name of Jesus necessary for salvation? Yes. If you've proclaimed that faith in a certain way in a certain church. So there's you know, a true churches and then they would regard other professions or other things. So there would be, uh, so there's some who view like say in the Catholic church that you're only saved if you're in the Catholic church. So it's not whether you've just believed in Jesus, but you had to believe in, uh, in, it also matters what church you're in, okay? So there's the nine views. I tried to go through those really quick. I don't see too many glossy-eyed people. So you guys all got this? Okay. And the, again, the slide I made was really cool. Maybe I'll email it to you. Um, so here, so where do we stand? Where do we stand on this? Um, let me read our, the last couple of sentences from the paragraph, The Redemption of Christ. Let's read this together at the very top of, um, uh, top of your handout, The Redemption of Christ. We believe that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Because God chose the lowly things of this world the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, no human being can ever boast before him. Christ has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And that paragraph is actually just a collection of scripture uh, citations, some from Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. But us, at this point now, I want us to read... Uh, our scripture reading for the mo morning. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Before we, before we read that, let me kind of go through the next couple of points there. Points 2 and point 3 in our outline. What shouldn't we believe? We'll start with like, maybe we could rule out some views that we shouldn't uh, hold on to. In, um, in my opinion, I don't, I would say I would definitely draw the line here. Well, let me, I'll say this way. My opinion, the faithful, the most faithful uh, testimony of scripture is gospel exclusivism. You need to believe the gospel in order to be saved. So I think that all of these views as entertaining as they might be to speculate, do not have any uh, any 
scriptural support at all for any of these, these views. Um, and I would actually say this one doesn't either. So you could cross that one out, too, on your, um, on your little chart. I'd say that the, the, the overgeneral picture of Scripture, none of these do. There are some people I know who are, you know, who are Christians who, who maybe just don't know. They just have you know, some questions about it. Maybe God works some things out. And I'm not really to throw them out and say that they're not Christians. But for me, what I believe, and I believe the Scripture is uh, from beginning to end, first to last, is about gospel Exclusivism. So let's look at, with that in mind, let's look at what Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. Last week we read Romans chapter 1 through 3, and we learned that all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God, Jews and Gentiles alike. And then Paul goes on to say it's through faith in Christ. Chapters 4, 5, 6, he goes through and explains all of that. Um, and then he continues on, 7, 8, you know, talks about his own struggle with sin even after he's believed. Uh, but now we have the spirit in chapter 8. And then he gets to this issue, did, how is it that God chose Israel and the nations? And he starts into that in chapter 9. And then we get to chapter 10. And keep in mind who we're talking about, who's writing this. This is the Apostle Paul, the one who went on several missionary journeys we looked at in the book of Acts. The one who was beaten and stoned to go from city to city to city to talk about Jesus. And he writes to the church of Rome these words. In Romans chapter 10, we'll read verses 1 through 17. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, them is his, uh, the people of Israel. He's referring to fellow Jews. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them, my fellow Jews, is that they may be saved. Which is interesting because he's here he's strongly suggesting that even fellow Jews can't be saved. Right? Because why would he pray for them to be saved if following Judaism got you saved? Why would he pray for them to be saved? Verse 2. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, which is the key problem, isn't it? They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live, them, live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Paul is actually quoting Deuteronomy chapter 30. If we had time, I would get into that. Uh, he says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. And the context here would be the word of faith in Jesus. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, he quotes Joel here, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse, uh, verse 12, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's, that's the reference to Joel. Verse 14, and notice the sequence that, he's, that he gives here. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how... Are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. So in my view, as we see here from what Paul describes, it seems very clear, especially if you notice the sequence here. Uh, the sequence is um, it's saved at the far right end. How can they save unless they call on is the next to last one. I'll do it right up here. Save. Kind of working backwards. Call on. Believe. Hear. Preaching. And sent. Yes. Okay. So he says, uh, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on and then be saved those whom they've not believed? Faith. And how can they believe unless they hear the gospel? And how can they hear the gospel unless it is preached? And how can they preach unless they are sent? I would say that if Paul were to look at this question, if you were to ask Paul, so Paul, here's nine views on salvation. And it goes from pluralism to universalism. He would say, what? I don't even know what those words are because they haven't been invented yet. But, uh, but if you were to explain it to him, I think he would say, he would go, no, no, no. I, it's clear. I, I wouldn't. Why would I go get stoned in a city? I mean, rock, with rocks. Why would I get stoned with rocks in a city? And, the, you know, the laws nowadays, you have to be clear about this. Um, why would I go put myself, my life in jeopardy at risk if I thought the religions they were already following were okay? Why would I do that? Why would I put risk, put my own life on the line if people are just get an infinite number of chances after they die? Actually, why would anybody say anything? Why would anybody say anything about the gospel 
if, you, if everyone got an infinite number of chances after you die? It doesn't fit. I mean, the gears just don't work. When you look at the whole scope of Scripture, it just doesn't fit. I would say Paul adamantly believed this, and he based his entire life around it. And everything that Paul would have known about God growing up in Judaism would have said, there's no way that God was willing to put on, you know, Yahweh. Yahweh was going to put on the faces of other gods. It just doesn't make sense. Why would he be so upset then when the Israelites would worship Baal along with him in the temple or at the altars, at the high, the high places and under every tree? Why? It just doesn't make sense. The only thing that makes sense, if there is only one true God, if there's only one humanity and all of that, all that humanity shares the same guilt, and if Jesus, God has sent one Savior, one Redeemer, then it makes sense that the proclaiming of that good news, that gospel, is what saves. I would say Paul absolutely built his life around that idea. And I would say, so should we. So should we. As a church, I don't think it's, I don't think it's helpful in any way as the church, the body of believers, the, the place where God's spirit dwells for us to dabble in these crazy ideas. We absolutely jeopardize whatever witness that the church would have. We need to live at least, at the very, very least, and I would say more than that, but at the very least, we need to live like this one is true. Absolutely. Which changes everything, doesn't it? Because now it causes us all to evaluate what, what it is that we need to do as a church collectively. Because there's churches that will believe this, but function like they're just functioning universalists. You know, there's functional universalists. We might believe this is true, but how does this affect what we do? Every interaction that we think through throughout the day. There are coworkers, friends, neighbors. Now, of course, there's all other kinds of questions. What I call the whatabouts. That's the way I spell it. The whatabouts, right? And you know what I'm referring to. Whatabouts. Well, what about infants? What about infants? What about uh, people with special needs or uh, uh, mental capacities that do not have the ability to grasp this kind of thing? Or what about the tribes in distant lands and nations who've never heard? You know, that might be great at 2 a.m. in the, you know, in a college dorm. And I think, and I don't mean to dismiss these questions. These are important questions. We're just not going to be able to get to that in the four minutes I have left. Um, those are legitimate questions. And uh, but as there's a, there's a like a legal saying, um, and is it on your handout? Yes. Hard cases make bad law. Um, these are some hard cases. We don't want to we don't want to build our practice as a church around the hard cases. We want to operate according to the instructions that Jesus gave. Go 
All authority on heaven and earth I have given you, has been given to me. I am sending you. Go. I'm sending you. Go. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And teaching them everything that I have commanded you. We saw this in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1. Where they come, uh, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And it's not for you to know times and dates the Father is set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Paul, Peter, John, James, Philip, Stephen, you just go through the, through the line. They all operated like this was absolutely true. And so should we. So I'd say, friends, we've been sent. Just like Jesus sent out the early disciples. And uh, they passed that on. And then they sent on others. And then they sent on others. And they sent on others. And we have now been formed together as a church community that is now being sent. And so, following Paul's thing, we need, we're sent with the message. What it'll say on the back of these cards, what is our mission, is simple. To follow Jesus' command to make disciples by testifying, testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. So I think all of us are fit on this spectrum here somewhere. All of us as a church, I think... We're, we're at this point where we need to, we, we're sent, but we need to figure out what it is, how it is that we can articulate this to friends and family and coworkers. Um, maybe, uh, maybe you just need to be praying for opportunities for people to hear. Maybe you're, you're here right now and you're hearing, you're just at this place where you're hearing this gospel message of Christ and you, what, what you need to do is move to believe. And then call on. There may be some here that are just maybe believe and they maybe haven't just called on the name of, of God to be saved. But I would say for us, so all of us find a spot here and I would say let, let be, be uh, searching your heart. Find out where it is God's moving you to next. Maybe it is for you to believe. Maybe it is for you to figure out the message. How, what message do I, uh, how can I articulate in my own way? But all of us, all of us are called to be sent. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's stand for uh, closing, closing prayer. And before I close, let me um, just share a couple of uh, prayer requests. Uh, one is for uh, Emily's uh, grandfather. Emily's grandfather who is uh, hospitalized uh, right now as we speak. And uh, uh, so it was a cancer. It's a cancer and he's hospitalized and he's uh, been asleep or unconscious in the hospital here recently. So if you could all be thinking of uh, Emily and her family and her grandfather. Um, and, then, um, and then as a way of praise for Missy as well too. She, Missy four years ago, uh, four or five years ago had cancer. Now she's uh, a brain cancer and she's um, now her scans are clear for the fourth year now. So she's still, so there's a praise to God. So we hold that intention.
the praise uh, to God for for uh, the clear scans, but we want to lift up uh, Emily's grandfather as well too. So, all right. So let's let's pray. Father God, we do want to give you thanks and praise for who you are. God, we do not. Uh, um, there's a lot of things we may not understand. There's a lot of questions that we have in this life. Um, and we, we, uh, it's okay for us to be content to not know some of those answers. And, but God, we are grateful that you have revealed to us Jesus. That you have revealed to us a Savior. And God, you have charged us and commanded us to go and share and to tell others to testify as we say testify to the gospel of the grace of God that you've shown in Jesus God may we take that charge seriously and while we reject so many of these other views of um, that attempt to answer this the, the question you know will is it necessary to believe in Jesus to be saved God we um, we will follow the, the counsel of Scripture and pretend and believe and know that we need, you are calling us to go out and proclaim a message. Because you say that there's no other name given to men by which they could be saved. God, may we live as, uh, we know that that's true. God, help us to live like it's true. Father God, we want to um, lift up uh, Emily and her grandfather. God, we ask that you be with Emily and Dave this morning as, uh, as their hearts are heavy and there's a lot of uncertainty facing uh, their family. And God, we do as well. Um, you tell us to mourn with those who mourn and to, um, to praise with those who praise. God, we, uh, we give you thanks for the rejoicing that um, Joe and Missy are, uh, are having as well. God, we, we ask that you be with, with uh, them in particular in a very special way. Uh, the Bogertman family and the Bauman family. And God, we, uh, we again want to express our gratitude to you. You are a good God. And you have redeemed and ransomed a people, and we're just a small collection of that here, and we're so glad that you've, you've done that. So, God, we ask that, uh, that you bless us as you send us out with this message and be opening up doors and opportunities for us so that we could preach, so that people can hear and believe and call on and be saved. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray. And everyone said, amen. amen and amen. Now may the grace of God and the love of Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with all of you as you are sent to preach.